Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to all of our viewers. Alhamdulillah, today, I usually say we have a very special guest, but today I have a very close friend on today with me, Brother Hassan Shibli. And inshallah, we're going to be talking about an interesting topic as usual. Um, so I'd just like to welcome Brother Hassan and let him introduce himself. I can't say enough about him, so I'll let him do it. It's a pleasure to join you all. Uh, this is Hassan Shibli, alhamdulillah. I'm a civil rights attorney in, in Tampa, Florida, uh, focusing on protecting the Muslim community from FBI harassment, uh, harassment at the borders by U.S. Customs, Border, uh, uh, Customs and Border Protection, uh, hate crimes and issues of uh, discrimination. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So today we're going to be talking about an interesting topic, which Brother Hassan Shibli was basically nurturing or taking, treating our community. So inshallah, I'm going to let Brother Hassan elaborate a little bit more on that. And as usual, we always go natural and we always let Hassan, or we always let our guest um, direct the flow of the conversation. Sure, mashallah. Uh, it's, it's, it's an honor to be here with you uh, again. And uh, Imam, thank you so much for, the, for this great program and the invitation to join you on this program. Um, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, especially, you know, when, when you live as, as an American Muslim in 2020, you realize you're extremely privileged. I mean, we just have tremendous freedom and liberty to practice our faith. Our faith is the greatest gift that we have. And unfortunately, far too often, we, we do take it for granted. Uh, and yet, the freedom to practice our faith is under constant threat, is under constant attack, uh, especially in this election year. You, you, probably, uh, you're going to notice that the Muslim community is, again, the target of certain politicians uh, as they run for office. I mean, the last election, you, the man who said Islam hates us ended up become, uh, winning the presidency of the United States. So there's no doubt that our community uh, is going to be facing tremendous political challenges, legal challenges. But ultimately, our success relies on our ability to work with each other and how we treat each other. Um, and I think one of the most stressful things for me, you know, when you ask me what do you want to talk about, so constantly, you know, in my position running one of the largest American Muslim civil rights organizations, I'm thinking about, you know, we're in a position of speaking, we're in a position of influence. So you're constantly on your mind is, what is it that can be most beneficial to our community? What is it that our community needs to know the most? And I, over the last couple of months, the greatest issue on my mind has been how we treat each other as a community, how we treat each other when we disagree, how we treat each other when we uh, see each other doing, uh, seeing the other, when we see the other doing well, but also when we see the other making mistakes and it's quite interesting because as you study the life of Rasulullah and the hadith, you know, you come across the hadith where the Prophet made du'as that this ummah would not be destroyed by a famine. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted this du'a. He made du'a that this ummah would not be destroyed by an outside enemy. And Allah accepted that du'a. But when he made the du'a uh, that this ummah would not be destroyed by infighting, you know, Allah warned the Prophet that unfortunately the ummah would engage in too much infighting. And we see that very, very frequently. And I think the main message that I think uh, is critical for all of us to understand is that how we treat each other, how we treat another person um, should in no way be determined by how they treat us, right? Yeah. How we treat others has to be in a sincere way, purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and the Prophet himself warned, don't be a people without a will, saying that if people treat you well, you will treat them well. And if they treat you poorly, you will treat them poorly. Uh, rather, we have to have complete ikhlas, complete sincerity in how we interact. And part of that sincerity is 
you know, engaging in ways with each other that we know is most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is, in fact, uh, a reflection of our firm faith and conviction in him. Um, you know, as a very well-known saying, a container can only pour out what it contains. And we have to ensure that uh, our hearts are pure, that our hearts harbor, uh, bear no enmity, no hatred, especially to other believers. You know, there was a man that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam identified as a man of Jannah, a man of paradise. And the only special quality he had is that he would not sleep with any enmity in his heart towards another believer. Uh, and the Prophet himself said, religion is wishing well for others. Uh, the Prophet Muhammad said that you will not enter paradise until you believe and you will not believe until you love each other. You know, so having love for each other is the essence of the reflection of faith. Uh, and then he said, should I tell you how to have love? Spread peace amongst yourselves. So it, it's very obvious in our community interaction. You can very easily tell when somebody is driven by love, when somebody is driven by brotherhood and how they approach you and how they speak with you and how they give you advice versus somebody who uh, is driven by arrogance, somebody who's driven by jealousy, somebody who's driven by hatred. And again, the very simple rule is how we treat other people should never depend on how they treat us. Because I think what happens is, you know, I've seen this, I've seen this even amongst people who are uh, appear to be religious um, and others that sometimes they will really stray in how they treat somebody. Uh, and we forget that the Prophet taught us that our deen is all about character and the closest people to the day of judgment are those with the best character. But sometimes we justify poor treatment of others. And that's the worst thing you can do. Uh, because one is you're not always... I'll send you there. Um... Hassan has gone missing there for a second. Can you see me? Oh, yeah. I can see you now. You're back. I you, turned you off the Wi-Fi because I lost you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't have my normal setup, and my I'm visiting my mother. Um, sorry, huh? I don't have my normal laugh. setup. But anyway, um, so the the point is that just to wrap up the the, the message. Um, you know, it, it's very dangerous, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, you catch somebody speaking in a very harsh manner, in a very, in a very abusive manner, and you say, well, this person did this, this, and this wrong, but okay, two sins, you know, two wrongs will make a right, that doesn't justify your behavior, right, yeah. and we always must uh, abide by the prophetic character in how we give each other advice, and how we disagree with each other, and how we advise each other, and how we guide each other, it should not be driven from a place of hate, or arrogance, or enmity. It really must be driven by love, that we love Allah so much, that we love all those who have La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah in their tongue, in their heart. And that we love all those that Allah created. We want guidance for them as well. We need them to find guidance. We never see anybody as, as worse than us. We never see ourselves as better than anyone. But we're driven by a sincere love of Allah, that we love those who love Allah, and a love of Allah, that we love all to love Allah. We want to be a means of, of guiding others to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and, and unfortunately, I'll be honest, a lot of times within conflicts within the Muslim community, it's like, you know, where is Allah in this? Where's our faith in Allah? You know, if our faith in Allah is not going to stop us when we're angry, when we're emotional, when is it, what, what weight does it have? You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, don't, don't, you know, make fun of each other. Don't mock each other. Don't use abusive names with each other. Don't use abusive terms with each other. And yet you see people when they get angry 
خلاص, it's like these words don't exist. The, they weren't uttered by the creators of the heavens and the earth. I mean, these words weren't sent for somebody who's calm and who's happy and everything is good. No, it's mm -hmm. sent when you are in a state of upset, of anger, you know, uh, as the Allah says in the Quran, وَالْقَاضِمِينَ الْغَيْدِ Those who control their anger. وَالْعَافِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ Those who forgive others. وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah loves those who go above and beyond in their ihsan. So, but it's amazing because when somebody's upset, it's as if those ayahs, those verses don't apply to them. And, uh, you know, I think it's very, very important we reevaluate how we treat each other. Uh, though, even with those whom we disagree with in terms of deen. I mean, you know, I remember there's a great masjid, a very, very... Uh, a traditional masjid, a very proper masjid. And, uh, you know, for whatever reasons, they decided to, that they want to remain open and to remain open, uh, they felt that it best to pray six feet apart, which many of the scholars have accepted. And one of the brothers, you know, really started a lot of conflict over the issue saying, no, you know, it doesn't make sense. You know, we, we're sitting together, but then we're going to pray. We're going to stand five feet apart. And, you know, he may be right. He may be right on the issue or he may be the example. He's maybe right. But I don't know if it was right or how he engaged the conversation. Yeah. I don't know if he was right of the abuse of the of the harsh manner and tone with which he spoke with his brothers. And sometimes when we get in this harsh tone, we think we are, you know, being religious or we think that's a reflection of our devotion to the deen. But we should recognize that, you know, the love we have for each other and the relationship we have for each other is maybe more important. I mean, really, even the point we say we should straighten our rows so that our Allah keeps our hearts together. But if you're going to break hearts to straighten the rows, you're going to miss the objective. You know, yeah. in our deen, al mu'minu ma'laf, a, a believer is sociable. You know, and the Prophet says, there's no good with those who are not, who don't have those positive social interactions with others. The one who mixes with people and is patient is better than the one who doesn't mix and isn't patient. You know, so the point is, again, our deen and, and of the greatest of tests is how we interact with each other, especially when we disagree with each other, even on a matter of politics, on a matter of faith. I mean, I've seen Muslims right now because we disagree with each other on issues of politics just send curses and harsh language and again we forget that gentleness where even if your brother is wrong okay if your brother is wrong you should actually have pity for him uh, yeah. and try to help him see how he's wrong not engage in abusive behavior and harsh language that if anything will only further entrench them in their wrong ways well i mean the comment section of any social media platform has become the place for people to do the most riba and namima allahu akbar that's it You'll see, you'll see somebody excellent like Mufti Meng say a message like we should love each other and somebody will mm -hmm. go into the comment section and be like, well, you say such and such things, you make us hate everybody. You know, the issue is, I think with the social media culture and the social media age, we are at a point where we, we are used to talking about each other, but yeah. we don't talk to each other. And even somebody don't like what they, they say. And you, um, you just write about it. You tweet about it. You know, instead of you know what, pick up the phone and call the person. I mean, even before social media, this this was a major problem. In that people, uh, when they disagreed with each other, they would they would send an email, and that would only add more conflict. You know, it's we've we've forgotten the importance of face to face interactions, or if you can't have a face to face interaction with somebody. You know, at least pick up the phone and call them and an email instead of pick up the phone, you know, and even worse now, even worse than email, because at least email, it's still between two people, generally private, or you may see a few people. But nowadays, it's just on Facebook, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, and it gets ugly and nasty, you know, really. And then 
somebody's first uh, resort when there's a conflict is, oh, I'm going to expose you, I'm going to attack you. And subhanAllah, you forget yeah. the, the beautiful hadith where the Prophet Muhammad said, you know, whoever goes to expose a believer, to humiliate a believer, Allah will humiliate him, even if he's in the darkness of his home. You know, and whoever yeah. protects the honor of his brother or sister in Islam, Allah will protect their face from the hellfire. You know, our, our deen is a deen of nobility, of honor, of trust. Uh, uh, it's a deen of nobility, honor, trust. And yes, sometimes, you know, justices are injustices are there uh and there's proper venues for that and this is a conversation i've had with people it's not every conversation needs to be had on social media not every not everything needs to be adjudicated not everyone is a uh, not everyone is a judge not everyone uh, has to take up his opinion on something you know there, there's uh, we need to know our roles this is why honestly um uh, most people, whenever there's a community controversy and they're sharing it online, they're commenting, they're sinful in that because, you know, they're not a, a, an alleged victim in the situation. They're not a witness. They have, you know, it's not their position to take a judgment, um, you know, but they want to get involved and pass on news. And the Prophet taught us that's enough for a person to be a liar, that they uh, pass on everything they hear. So we need to recognize our roles, you know, and if your role is not a judge, if your role is not an investigator, if your role is not a witness, then, you know, speak good or stay silent. And if you don't have firsthand information about a situation, about an issue, keep your mouth shut and save yourself from the hisab. Because if you say anything, all you've done, forget it. Even if you're right, all you've done is give more things for Allah to judge you about before you can enter Jannah. You know, so the, lo- the more wealth you have, this is why it says the poor will enter Jannah first because they have less wealth to be accountable for. So the more wealth you have, the more you may have to be accountable on the day of judgment. Same way, the more words you speak, the more you have to answer for. And even if all those words are correct, do you really want to sit before Allah as he reviews each and every word and sentence and to hold you accountable to it? I, I don't know what happened. Your voice got kind of uh, robotic right now. Um, Hassan's disappeared again. It's all good, inshallah. He'll come back in a second. Um, but Alhamdulillah, Brother Hassan giving us some good advice in regards to especially social media, telling us about how we should be cautious about what we type and how interpersonal relations have, you know, basically disappeared. Everybody's, you know, commenting online, commenting on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, different avenues, different places, and they're not worried about the hisab and kitab that they're going to have to give because of what they say or what they type. So we have to be really cautious about what we type, what we say, who we're saying it to. Because when you talk in person, you're a little bit more concerned. You're a little bit more worried about what you say. But when it comes to just typing on social media, a lot of times we're not really cautious about it. And we just just type whatever we want or whatever we feel. I said, sorry, I don't know what happened, but I'm back. Uh, I, I no, cut no, off after I spoke, so I didn't hear what you said. No, I was saying that your voice got really robotic, so we couldn't really hear you much. But mm-hmm. I was I was understanding. But but basically what I was saying is I, st- I started talking when you went off. And basically the gist of what you're saying is because of our lack of interpersonal and interpersonal conversations, sitting in front of each other, everybody's become this sort of keyboard warrior where they're trying to expose each other. Or if, if if you write something, and I know this, Alhamdulillah, this never happened between us, but you know, Allah never make it happen between us. But if you wrote something, for example, I'm, I'm just gonna give you a stupid example, like trains are good for society. 
And just because I wanted to point out that trains are bad because they, you know, they pollute society and stuff like that, I'm going to go out there and expose you and say bad things about you. And that's what it's become about on social media, especially. Yeah, yeah, it's very toxic. And even I had a situation quite interesting where, you know, sort of one scholar said something and then another scholar called him out on uh, online. And then the first scholar was like reaching out, trying to reach out to the other scholar. Like, yo, brother, you know, we're on a map. Just pick up the phone and call me first and let's have yeah. a conversation about it. You know, if I'm mistaken, then you can teach me. And if you're mistaken, then I can at least clarify it. And then yeah. we can come up with a positive message online. We don't need to resort to, uh, you know, just speaking about each other online. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult. And I see very good people falling into these mistakes, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, social media is such a sphere where if two scholars or two notable people start hashing out at each other, it becomes more so a circus for the other people to just, you know, enjoy and talk about it and be like, oh, look, Hassan and Hassan, they're insulting each other and they're not agreeing on these things. And if our leaders are like this, what can we expect from the people? Um, exactly. it, it just becomes so bad. And like you said, toxic. So that social media, I feel like to an extent should be used for information and for fun. And for most serious conversations, if you really need to have it, pick up a phone and call your brother or sister and talk with them over the phone rather than trying to have it online. Exactly. You can't have these conversations on social media. You can't, you can't adjudicate cases on social media. You can't, uh, you know, have deep political discourse or deep, even spiritual discourse uh, yeah. online. And even the whole issue, because people have fallen into debating. What is debating? Debating generally comes from a place of arrogance that a person yeah. thinks themselves qualified to debate an issue. Most of us should never be debating. We should either be teaching or learning. You know, yeah. and you have to identify, are you qualified to teach on the subject? If you're qualified to teach on it, alhamdulillah. If you're not qualified to teach on it, then you need to be learning it. But this idea of debate, it's just a reflection of people's arrogance, you know, um, you know that you're qualified to fight. And people generally don't learn in debates anyway. And that's what social media sort of becomes, you know, debates in the comments section debates in the articles we need to be people who seek knowledge who seek wisdom who seek truth wherever it is seeking it purely for the sake of allah not for us to be right not for us to win but for us to grow and to grow in knowledge and to grow in proximity to allah that is the essence of it and that is what ikhlas is this is one of the most powerful one of the most beautiful sentences and if there's ever a situation in our life where we can't say that sentence sincerely, then we just yeah. stop. So say you are fighting with somebody or your spouse, your business partner, and as you are communicating with them, stop and say, my salah, my sacrifice, my life and my death is for Allah. And if your words and your actions at that moment don't reflect that it's all for Allah, then you better put your, you better stop. Yeah. You better stop. You know, because if it isn't for Allah, it's, it's against you. That's that's for sure. So whatever you're doing, you know, you're you, you, you get upset and you're cursing somebody. Stop my life, my death, my service, my sacrifice, my prayer is all for Allah. It now is, is how I'm treating this person consistent with that or not. If it's consistent with it, go ahead. But I doubt it will be unless shaitan is really messing with your mind. And if it's not consistent with it, then stop. Fix your course. That's true. That's true. Um... So, so as far as treating the community goes, well, and Alhamdulillah, you travel from community to community, and each community has their issues, separate issues, separate things going on. Right now, in this climate with COVID, with people trying to come back to the masjid and trying to get back together, um, 
and you know, trying to rebuild the cohesiveness, what would be some of your advice for people to try to get back together and they haven't seen each other in such a long time? That what what are some things that we should be trying to converse about or trying to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about amongst each other? Yeah, I mean the first thing is look, don't take your religion for granted. And very, very important, especially now people got even those that were regularly going to the masjid, regularly going to gatherings of knowledge. Honestly, maybe they got a little bit used to not going and so yeah. you become complacent and you got used to having that extra time that you're saving. And now it's going to be a little bit hard to get back into the routine and very, very important, you know, that you don't give up on the habits that will nourish the soul. So here's the thing. There's actually a number of different reasons that we engage in acts of ibadah. And, and I think one of the simpler reasons is actually for rewards. Um, but I would say the most important reason is to actually nourish our soul uh, and to nourish the soul, to nourish the faith, to nourish that relationship with Allah is the most important reason. Because in the end, it's not really isn't about, you know, how many good deeds you have. Right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't count the deeds as much as he weighs them, you know, and the weight depends on the sincerity. Um, and in that respect, at the end of the day, what matters is do we die with faith or not? I mean, if we die with sincere faith. Well, alhamdulillah, we're good. And if we die without that, we're, we're doomed. And ultimately, uh, the biggest danger of sins is that a lot of sins uh, without tawbah can kill the heart. And when the heart dies, faith dies. And when faith dies, then you're, you're done. You're done. And uh, that's why it's very, very important we don't become complacent in doing the good deeds that nourish our heart and our soul, that nourish our faith. Because... One, you know, you can say Alhamdulillah a hundred times, just Alhamdulillah, 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 without thinking to get rewards. And that's, there's still blessings in that. Don't cut me, you know, don't take me wrong. But you're saying it so fast that you're not necessarily reflecting over what it means. You're not thinking over what it means. Um, or you could say Alhamdulillah. And as you say Alhamdulillah, you reflect over all of God's blessings. So you actually in your heart feel the gratitude. So again, uh, there's two reasons we do good deeds. Number one is for one is to get blessings, to get hasanat, to get good deeds. The others to nourish the soul. Now, when we couldn't go to the mission for so many months, when we can go to the halakas for so many months, yes, we may have been excused and we may have been getting the same good deeds we normally get, yeah. but that doesn't mean our faith is being nourished. Yeah. And in fact, even if we're still getting the good deeds because we had the intention to go and we couldn't, our souls could still be dying from a lack of good company. Our souls could still be dying from a lack of light from visiting the masjid. And you have to understand that just because you're getting the good deeds of something doesn't mean that you're getting the benefit. And the benefit is completely different and it's necessary. So another simple example, I mean, you could, you know, if you were to drink poison by accident, you're not going to get any sin, but yeah. you're still going to get sick. Yeah. And I think, you know, staying away from the masjid, staying away from the gatherings of knowledge, uh, it's like drinking poison by accident. You won't get any sin. In fact, you may still get the same good deeds that you're getting, but you're going to get the sickness of what happens when you're away from these pure environments because it's it's a world of cause and effect, yeah. you know, and that's why it's important. Alhamdulillah, we've supplemented the time away from the masjid with a lot of online programs and everything. But my, my simple advice, don't take your faith for granted because I, I have a very good friend who is very, very religious and he completely lost his faith. And the reason what led him to lose his faith is, number one, never take your faith for granted. I don't care how religious, how righteous you think you are. Allah will snatch it from you like that, even if just to humble you. Even because for a minute you you were proud and arrogant, Allah just wanted to show you you're nothing. Watch. None of us, none of us, the biggest the biggest sheikh in the world is nothing in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if Allah wants to, uh, you know, 
uh, hold us accountable. Doesn't Allah say in the Quran that he wouldn't leave anything on this earth if he were to take people to account? We all have our sins and our mistakes and our shortcomings. Yeah. So none of us is too valuable for Allah, except that some people, because of their effort, Allah loves them truly. And yes, then they're great in the sight of Allah. But still, Allah doesn't need them. That's the point I was trying to communicate. Nobody is anything great. inside. Uh, Allah isn't going to be hurt in the least bit if any of us lose our faith, if any of us go astray, right? Iblis himself had done more sajda, more worship than 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 uh, almost anybody else and he still went astray Allah didn't lose his dominion in anything the point is we're nothing Allah is everything and uh, don't, don't take your faith for granted and, and and the reason I mentioned this is because you know this good friend of mine that was very very religious what happened he got so busy with work when he got so busy with work he stopped going to the masjid he stopped going to the masjid and he stopped going to get good company and what happened is without him even realizing subhanallah his heart started dying say started dying and then one person put up some atheist BS, uh, you know, quotes and, and false uh, false theories. And it brainwashed him and he just lost his way. He lost his way completely and his faith by that time was done. And this is why the Prophet says, get in the habit of doing good deeds. Be in the habit of doing good deeds before such fitness come where a person wakes up as a believer and goes to sleep as a disbeliever, selling his deen for some material good. So the Prophet here is telling us that we are creatures of habit and the good deeds what he said is going to protect us against losing the faith is being in the habit of good deeds because those sustain the heart. Because when you don't do the good deeds, you're not nourishing your heart. And then some worldly opportunity comes before you or some confusing question comes before you. You don't have the spiritual strength to overcome it. And then you fail. So again, to answer your question and to be very succinct about it is, uh, yes, we may have an excuse for more of the message. We may have an excuse for more of the majalis al-ilm. And we may still be excused because of the different COVID situation. But that doesn't mean we will not suffer consequences. We need to find ways to keep our hearts spiritually nourished. The best way is righteous company, attending the masjid, uh, classes in real life, uh, and then gatherings of dhikr, and then the actual dhikr, the remembrance of Allah, the recitation yeah. of the Quran. We have to nourish our hearts lest our hearts die. Yeah. So I know you went, I think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, you went to New York. For the first weekend you guys went, you guys were handing out Qurans in Times Square. And you guys were handing out roses and other things like that. And the second week you went, you guys, there was, you know, a group of you brothers, you know, some, some social media influencers, other hafaz, other ulama, stuff like that. And you guys were first at a masjid handing out food to anybody who came. And then you guys were at a church. Now explain to us the spiritual enhancement by doing acts like that. You know, it's interesting. Um... With these acts, a very, very, you know, it's interesting. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu you know, he, 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 he would do istighfar 70 times a day. And, and he said that, you know, I feel the effect of being out with the people coming on my heart. Now, he felt like a dust almost covered the heart from the effect of being out there with the people. But what was he out there with the people for? He was there. He wasn't there doing business with them. He certainly wasn't there playing with them. He was there calling them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was helping the poor, the needy, the oppressed. He was doing service. And service, of course, is a great act of ibadah. You know, the Prophet taught us the most beloved to Allah are those that are most beneficial to his creation. But for me, service really at the end of the day goes back to good deeds, right? It goes back to good deeds. It doesn't necessarily go back to spiritual perfection. Yeah. So, you know, and this is why when you look at the hadith, the first person to enter hellfire is the scholar, the warrior, and the philanthropist. These are people who did great deeds that are to be done for good deeds, but they did not have the spiritual purification 
and therefore they did it without sincerity and therefore it wasn't accepted. So, you know, when we went to New York City, we were giving out translation of the Quran, inshallah, so many took shahada, we're very visible on social media. Then the next weekend, we're giving out food at the message of the church. It's great act of dawah. We're showing people the beauty of Islam. Some people were giving me heat, like, brother, be sincere. Don't put this online. It's like, no, dude, first of all, I didn't pay for any of this. I'm raising funds to do this. Yeah. And the way you raise funds is by taking pictures so you all can see, so y'all can donate, so a lot more people can be helped. So I got yeah, the there's, also, there's also proof and emulation from that. Sorry? There's also proof, like people see that something's actually happening, and there's also the essence of emulation where somebody sees it, and let's say we see you doing it, and we'll be, we'll do it next week in Charlotte. You recreate it exactly. You inspire others, and this is why you know it's important to do it. I think publicly and privately, and that was my point: is that look, this the, these acts of ibadah, uh, I'm not doing it, uh, you know, in in the sense of my spiritual reformation, right? I'm no. doing it for service, and inshallah for hasanat. And inshallah to inspire others, you know. But because these acts of ibadah are so visible, are so public, and they have to be in order to be effective. Like, for example, I don't just want to, you know, teach one person about the beauty of the Prophet. I said, I want to teach millions. And the way you do that is by doing it, capturing on camera, encouraging others to recreate it. So uh, the, the essence of this work does depend on publicity and even the fundraising aspect. It depends on publicity. But because of that, with publicity come the harms and the dangers of insincerity, showing off, yeah. uh, you know, trying to gain uh, fame, you know, a, 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 a praise, a praise from people. Because of that, then the spiritual work is so yeah. much more important. So the more work you do outwardly, the more work you have to do inwardly. This is why I was writing that, you know, that jihad to strive for the sake of Allah is to fight for truth. And yeah. to fight injustice and to fight oppression and to help the poor and the needy. But the greater jet is while you're doing all that, you're going to get a name. You're going to get fame. I mean, if you're a warrior, I mean, if you're on the battlefield, you know, uh, uh, you know, fighting injustice and oppression and even that form of, of, of striving, you know, and you conquer your enemies, you know, then you're going to get a big name for that. And that big name may be your, may be your detriment and, and may be your destruction if you haven't done the greater jihad of the heart where you overcome the heart's desire for fame, for glory in the sight of anybody but Allah. In fact, faith is for those that are greedy in a sense. If you think about it, if you want glory, well, who can you get glory from more than from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If you want to be praised, whose praise is worthy more, worth more than Allah? Do I want the praise of a million who will die or of the one who never dies? No. Wallahi, the praise of the one who never dies, it is worth more than the billions who will die together. All of their praise is not but a speck in the ocean compared to his praise, and that's too much even, you know? So if you love, if you love fame, if you love praise, if you love wealth, okay, it's okay. But only love it through the source of it all, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And don't love what he gives, but love the giver. Yeah, Love the giver, not, not what he gives. What he gives is all nothing. This is all nothing. Nothing. What is greater than that divine connection with the Creator, Subhanahu wa Taala? So that's why, as we do this work, we do this outward work. You know, it is what it is. But you have to remember, people's praise and people's condemnation is nothing. All that matters is what does Allah think of you. That's yeah. all that matters, and that's where that personal ibadah, that personal time with the dhikr, the company of the salihin, that's where it all comes into play because it helps clean this thing. It helps clean that heart and keep the heart pure and sincere. I mean, you know, one of the things about it is, um, I, I know you pretty well, alhamdulillah, we've known each other for seven, eight years now. Um, so, 
I'd like to say I know you pretty well. I mean, there's a there's an aspect or there's an essence where people do do it to show off, but at the same time, like we said, you have to do it for emulation. And and for a person who has a lot of wealth, if they if they feel like maybe I'm going to be insincere, maybe they should give a bigger donation on the side without telling people and give a smaller donation in front of other people so they can get emulated. Be like, oh, this brother's giving so much, I should give as well. Where you have the from the hadith, you look at the hadith where. Hadad Abu Bakr is bringing in so much, and then Hadad Umar to try to compete with them is bringing in so much. We see it from the hadith that it has happened and it will happen. So we're supposed to get inspiration from the hadith. And if we don't get it from there and we start you know, throwing dirt at people, oh, well, you're doing this for this. I mean, are we really reading the hadith? Are we really paying attention to our pious predecessors? Or are we not? You know what it is? We are all mirrors for each other. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something about my own personal experience, man. Subhanallah. You know, everybody sees what is within them. Yeah. So I can be with some people that are openly, openly sinning, openly not serious about the deen, openly, you know, uh, just disrespectful of the deen, this, that, and the other. And, you know, from them, generally, subhanallah, what you think, okay, these are sinners, so they don't take the deen, open sinners, so they don't take the deen too seriously. But from them, all I hear is sort of condemnation and, and criticism. You know, oh, you're insincere, or oh, you're showing up, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. You know, because that is what they're used to. Perhaps that is how they are. And so, therefore, that's what they see and others may Allah give us sincerity and 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 really uh you know purify our intentions at the same time then you sit with some of the most righteous scholars and in front of these most righteous scholars those are the people you would be afraid of what they have to say you know and if they were to say you are insincere you're misguided then you would start crying and you'd know you they're, they're, they're right and I have to work on myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But subhanAllah, when you sit in front of these righteous and sincere people, all you get is support and you get praise. Well, why? It's not a reflection of you, you and who you, you who are. It's a reflection of the goodness. They are so good-hearted that they only see good in others. And yeah. sometimes some people are so bad-hearted they only wish they love to see sincere wealth and faith. How we do? You there, Asad? I'm. I'm here. You're. You're. You're cutting out a little bit right now. I can see you. Uh oh. I, th I think you're good now. Are your connection stable? Inshallah, I, I, I think there was a little lag. Yeah, there, there, there was a little lag. Your mouth was moving, but I couldn't hear anything. I mean, I, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put you through the situation where your connection isn't that good tonight. No, no, it's my fault. I think next time we'll plan it when I'm home in Tampa. I actually have a special setup just for virtual uh, interviews. Where I, my mom's house doesn't have that, unfortunately. 
alhamdulillah, you're with your mother. You're, you know, you're at the, you're with your jannah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. But what's it called? Um, what I was gonna say is sometimes, sometimes when us normal people, um, when we get a little bit, you know, religious or we have some essence of religiousness in us, sometimes we get this holier than thou. Uh, aspect where we sometimes we think if somebody's committing a sin or somebody's doing something, oh my God, they're doing something so bad. They shouldn't be doing something so bad. But you you probably remember the time when you came last year um, in December for the fundraiser when I was sitting with the Sheikh Ibrahim Madni and I was talking with him and I asked him about a problem which we discussed. And I, we're not going to discuss other stuff, but I'm going to talk about how I approached Sheikh Ibrahim. And this was the first time I actually got a chance to talk to him, if I remember correctly. And I asked him about our brothers and sisters who are regulars at bars and clubs and, and places which are not so good, which are not places which we encourage our Muslim brothers and sisters to go. And his advice was to stay close to them and offer them good advice and offer them good company. He says he what his words were, if we sever our connection with them, that who else is going to approach them and try to bring them back to the deen. Mm. And, and so, you know, if somebody were to approach a sheikh like Sheikh Ibrahim, they'd be afraid that if somebody does go to a bar or club, they'd be afraid to tell them you're going to Jahannam. But that's now how most of our great shayukh are. They understand the problems. Absolutely. And, and, and when you speak with your brothers and sisters that are afflicted with those kinds of tests, a lot of them are actually looking for somebody to teach them and to be a good example for them. Uh, that will uh, that will not judge them, right? yeah. And and you know a lot of especially they know what they're doing is wrong. They don't need you to just yell at them and 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 remind them that they're going to hellfire. No, astaghfirullah. And and honestly, we don't even know what anybody's fate. We don't know ours or theirs. But rather, what they need is that love, that encouragement. And and you know the hadith is very simple. None of you are believers, and of course we learned this from Sheikh Ibrahim as well. None of you are believers until you love for others what you love for yourself. So even yeah. if you're wrong, if you're wrong, how would you love somebody treats you? Wouldn't they? Yeah. Wouldn't you love that they approach you in a gentle way uh, and to teach you with wisdom and compassion, or would you want them to, to curse you out? No, you'd obviously want them to teach you in a gentle, effective way. Well, that's how we treat others. Um, it's very, very, very important. Uh, that that again, we are driven by love, and to and not to condemn and not to feel better than others, but rather to actually create positive change through inspiration. And and the key is to inspire others. The key is not to force anybody to do anything, but it's to inspire. Yeah. And and you have to look what what is it that inspires others? What is it that motivates? You know, how did the Prophet turn? Some of the some of the Sahaba who before may were may may have been constantly getting drunk, constantly fighting, constantly involved in all sorts of sins, and he transformed them into the greatest people that walked on the face of this earth. He didn't do this through hate. He didn't do this through anger. He didn't do this um, through uh, basically uh, condemnation. But he did it really through inspiration. There was a love, such love. a love that they were so much love their life for it. You know, so they were willing to give up their lives for that once they tasted that love. And people can see, like, if you're giving dawah to somebody, they can tell very quickly if it's rooted yeah. in love or if it's yeah. rooted in arrogance and hate and condemnation. And, and that won't work, frankly. Yeah. And, and, our, and our love, I mean, our religion, it's all about love. Mm. And, and you see, even when Wahshi killed the uncle of the Prophet, 
that he didn't want to see him, but he didn't condemn him. That when Rashi came mm. to become a Muslim, there was still love there. It's hard to love somebody who killed your uncle, but he still loved him. You know, the scholars have mentioned that even this situation where the Prophet told Wahshi, who he says to his uncle that I don't want to see you, you know, so you become Muslim, but just stay out of my line of sight, was actually a mercy for him. Because they yeah. said, you know, the Prophet said him naturally, if he were to see Wahshi, he would remember the brutal murder of his uncle. And when he does that, he may become sad. And if he yeah. is sad, that may have a negative impact on yeah. Wahshi. You know, yeah. spiritually or otherwise, because the messenger, God's messenger, is sad because of him. So to protect Wahshi from the negative effects of what would happen when he naturally may become sad, he said, "Just okay, stay out for my own." And he, even his story is powerful, where they say when he wanted to make tawbah, the Quran said, "Okay, illa, uh, that, that that those who do not commit shirk, who do not commit adultery, fornication, and who do not kill the innocent soul." And he said, "I've done all of this." And the Prophet yeah. could have said, well, you're done. But he waited for the Wahi to come until the Wahi came, except for those who repent and do righteous deeds. God will replace their sins with good deeds. So look at Allah's Rahmah. And even then, Wahshi didn't want to accept that. He said, that's too many conditions. How do I know I'm going to do enough good deeds? So then the Prophet could have said, you're done. Khalas, it's too much for you. But he waited until more revelation came. And then the verse was revealed. God doesn't forgive that you ascribe partners to him. But he forgives anything besides that to whomever he wants. Again, a powerful verse of forgiveness. And even then, Wahshi, who killed the Prophet's uncle, said, look, this isn't enough for me. How do I know God will want to forgive me? The Prophet ﷺ could have written him off, but he didn't. He waited yeah. until more revelation came. And then finally, the verse came, tell my servants who wronged themselves never to give up hope in Allah's mercy. Allah forgives all the sins. And Wahshi accepted that and became Muslim. But you see how... Uh, the love that the Prophet had for his forgiveness. Another example I mentioned recently is the example of one of the Sahaba during the conquest of Mecca. He sent a message to the Quraysh warning them that the Prophet would be going to conquer Mecca. And of course, the Prophet received revelation that letter was intercepted and Umar was ready to execute him for treason. And the Prophet took the explanation from him where he said, you know, I was worried, I knew you would be successful, but I had some weak family and I was afraid they'd be hurt if I didn't warn them or send a warning to, to get them protection. And then the Prophet said, Omar, you don't know this is a man of Badr. And maybe because of his sacrifice in Badr, Allah told him, do whatever you want, you are forgiven. So the Prophet did not judge him by his worst mistake, which is treason. But he judged him according to his best deeds, which is engaging in better. And at the end of the day, look, nobody's done more wrong to us than that Sahabi did when he betrayed the Prophet. Nobody's done more wrong to us than Wahshi did to the Prophet. Yet Wahshi still, that, that neither were treated in a harsh way. The Prophet still wanted them forgiven and wanted them to be successful. But somebody crosses us once and we just wish them destruction. And 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 that means we need to really reevaluate our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forward that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in the story of uh, Abu Baba. Um, if you know in Medina and Masjid al Nabi, there's actually a, there's a pillar, it's called the Sunan Abi Lubaba. And mm. in the story of Abi Lubaba, where he was, he had, because he was from Oz, he had very good relations with the uh, Banu Quraiza. And when the Banu Quraiza, they betrayed the Prophet, uh, they asked Abu Lubaba for some, you know, riyat or some help. And he said that fate that awaits you is not a good fate. And he felt as though he had betrayed the Prophet. So he, would, he went to the masjid, he told his wife to tie him to the pillar, which is now And she would talk to him because the last one would know why he's being tied. But then he told the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said, if you had come to me and you had told me about this, I would have forgiven you. Allah but Allah. now you put this in the Supreme Court, not talking about the U.S. Supreme Court, talking 
about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's court. Now he has to send something to him. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him. Prophet was willing to forgive him if he came directly to him. If you go to the Supreme Court, you got to wait for their decision. Subhanallah. Yeah, so I mean, it's the Prophet he's he's willing to overlook and forgive anything he can. And obviously there's certain things in our religion which, uh, what's it called, even at the time of Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one who would be able to send the orders. But the Prophet mm -hmm. was so loving. He had so much muhabbat for each and every person, regardless of what the religion was. And you remember the story of the, the janazah of the Yahudi, which was passing by, mm -hmm. and the Prophet started, you know, started getting sad. And, you mm -hmm. know, just even though it's not a person of the same religion, a lot of people, they have this perspective of, oh, if a person, for you know, if they're not Muslim, we shouldn't think mm -hmm. about it or we shouldn't be worried about them. No, our Prophet was worried about everybody. That was the love he had. And that's what the topic of treating the community when you said that, that's what it comes down to is the love. That's what it is, man. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's all the creation of Allah. You cannot honor the creator when you dishonor his creation. And, and uh, ultimately, I mean, even look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had no needs, right? He created yeah. us, uh, you know, the, 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 some of the sayings say that he loved to be known. So he created the universe that we may know him. And he created us with our needs and our shortcomings and our sins because he loves to forgive. He loves those who put their trust in him. He loves those who have sabr for him. So these are these are these these shortcomings that we have. They give us the opportunity to get close to Allah as we strive to overcome them. And ultimately, as it relates to dawah, as it relates to ordaining good and forbidding evil, as it relates to working for a change in the world, love has to be the basis. And if it isn't, and we start cursing each other, we start attacking each other, we start gossiping against each other, we've missed the point, my brothers and sisters. Subhanallah. So, inshallah, I plan on having a program sometime in, you know, in the next month, month and a half. And one of the purposes of that program, inshallah, I'm going to have on hopefully a few scholars and we'll see if you have some time to come on. But what I'm planning on doing is we want to see what is our vision as Muslims for the next 10 years in the United States. Because we're, we're sh so short-sighted. We're only thinking like if we're in a masjid and we're building the masjid, they're making the extension. We're only thinking about what's going to happen over the next year, two years, or three years. We're not thinking about the future of 10 years from now. Like right. if we look back 20 years back, how our Muslim community was, what was going on, and what we were doing, we would have planned better. If you would have planned better, I'm, it's not to say that we would have done anything better, but I'm saying if you plan better, there's always the perspective that or the, the optimism that you will do better. So inshallah, I want to bring on some people and well, what what is just you know give a short idea i don't want the whole you know everything right now but what is something we should plan for ourselves for the next 10 years as far as to be a better muslim subhanallah um that's a deep question i you know i think essentially as we look to the future um just what is our priority i mean you know and our priority has to be preservation of faith and to do that we need access you know on a local level to traditionally trained scholars that can relate and connect with the people. So supporting uh, pro uh, programs of, of bringing and, and supporting, maintaining traditional scholars in, in our communities and maintaining their company and their love. That's everything. You know, that's the key to preservation of faith, being with the people of Allah. Allah didn't just send the Quran. He sent also he sent him to teach the Quran. And we have his companions and the tabi'een and the tabi'a tabi'een uh, all the way till, to, till, till our scholars. So we need to have that 
engagement. And then we can grow in everything. We need to grow in law, in media, in politics. Those are the key eras in journalism and education. These are the things that move and shape society. That's how you create societal change. But to do that, you need to have a solid foundation within the faith and, and, and have that fraternity in the brotherhood. So, you know, building ourselves up spiritually through proper mentorship is essential. That's good. Alhamdulillah. So, inshallah, we'll, we'll elaborate more on that, inshallah, when we get together. And inshallah, this time I'll try to schedule everybody, you know, to come on at the same time. And inshallah, we're, I'm going to start moving to an earlier time schedule as well. This one was, you know, That's to try idea. to work everything out. And obviously, I didn't know you were going to be at your mother's, otherwise, I would have tried to work it around that and try to get somebody else or work around your schedule or something. My weekends, usually I'm traveling. So usually weekends I'm somewhere, but depending on the weekday, most weekdays I'm in Tampa and I have a whole setup for virtual uh, tour and I got better Wi-Fi. So inshallah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. It's, it's all good. But inshallah, um, I won't take up any more of your time. I want you to spend time with your mother. Um, obviously, you know, I lost my mother a few years ago. So the every second we get with our mother is very special. Yes, sir. Of course, may Allah have rahman her and every second of your life may be a means of sadaqah jari for her, Ya Rabb. Jazakallah khair, Hassan, for your time. Inshallah, we'll catch up soon. Jazakallah khair. You want to make a dua for us before we finish? You make the closing dua, inshallah. I'll just make a simple dua. Subhana rabbika rabbil arizati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursani wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Amin. Jazakallah khair. May Allah 